Welcome to Kubrick Group's Data Balance podcast. Each month, we'll be interviewing a variety of talented and inspiring people who use data and technology in their career. We'll be discussing diversity challenges and opportunities across the industry, and we'll be shining a light on ways to create a more diverse team and all the advantages that diversity brings when creating teams to solve complex problems. In this episode, we'll be chatting with our expert guest speaker, Shola Kay, who's a speaking coach and a professional speaker on inclusion and introverted personalities in the workplace and strategies to help introverts thrive in the office. Shola is an award-winning public speaking coach in the data industry, helping introverted individuals to become more confident and communicators in the workplace itself. Shola, lovely to meet you. Hi. So could you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Yes, so I currently run a uh, consulting company and I I do a lot of coaching, particularly with introverts, but also people in the tech and data industries. And uh, I'm also a public speaker. Before that, I had a career in the IT industry, in IT consulting. And then in between the two of those, I've worked for a number of years as a professional singer. So singing internationally for corporate clients and parties and all sorts of things. Wow. It's lots of stage time. Yeah, lots lots and lots of stage time, which is always a good thing. (laughs) (laughs) So I guess just jumping straight into it, um, what, what makes somebody an introvert? What are the typical characteristics associated with an introvert and an extrovert, let's say? Mm. Well, the sort of classic um, way of describing it is that an introvert is somebody who gets their energy or they replenish their energy by being alone, whereas extroverts, they need that stimulation of being around other people to actually buoy themselves up and to to feel more invigorated. Um, Back in the day, introverts were seen as people people who are being sort of socially awkward or shy, but shyness and introversion aren't the same thing. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. So I think being an introvert almost has a negative connotation, doesn't it, in the workplace? Absolutely. Yeah. And I think one of the reasons I'm so passionate about it is because in my first job, I was working in IT consulting in the States and the, um, the American society is seen as being more extroverted even than, than the UK. And then if we go to Asia, then Asia, as we go sort of to, um, to the Asian societies, they're seen as being typically more introverted. So if you go to Japan or uh, some of the countries there. So there's this, this quiet little British girl in her first job, um, supposed to be a consultant, surrounded by lots of very confident Americans. And they basically thought there was something wrong with me. And uh, I remember my head of HR saying to a colleague, not to me, what is wrong with Shola? She's afraid of her own shadow. And um, so then a few weeks after this, I literally got put on probation. And I think they thought I wasn't up to the job. But typically introverts, they might make a bit of a slow start. But then once they're comfortable in the role, they know what they need to do. They understand the parameters. They can be excellent um, through uh, through all different roles in the organization. Uh, but I think there's there's often this this misconception that they because they're a little bit slow to speak up or they need time to think that either that they're not up to the job um, or they're sometimes even the perception is that they're being lazy mm-hmm. or they're just hanging back mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm so so passionate about this because of the experience I had and then when I speak typically a few people always come up and say oh well I'm an introvert I thought I couldn't speak I thought I couldn't be a public speaker I thought I couldn't and I just want them to know you can do anything mm-hmm. but ideally you want the the, the community and the environment around you to be supportive of you. And so that's the message that I like to bring to organisations. Mm, absolutely. And do you think it's important to have both extroverts and introverts in a team? So it's not just one-sided, 
in any space. Absolutely. Uh, there's a study that was in, I think, the Harvard Business Review, and they took teams of extroverts and made, gave them an introverted leader. And then they did the same thing. They took an extroverted leader and team of introverts. And they found that that combination of uh, sort of one personality type as a leader with another type as the team was the optimal combination. So if you think about um, perhaps an introverted leader, some of the things that they're good at is um, deep thought, um, listening to people's opinions. And, but they may not be so good at the, the PR aspect or spreading the word. So if you've got a very loyal extroverted team working underneath an introverted leader, you've got that really great balance of the, the people that will go out and spread the word, whereas you've got a very measured and thoughtful person at the, in, at the helm. And likewise, if you've got an introverted team working for an extroverted leader, um, some of the perceived weaknesses of extroverts in leadership roles is that they, they don't necessarily listen so hard or uh, they're so, um, they, they, they so believe their own ideas and their own conviction that they just want to rush ahead and not listen. But I think having that introverted team will kind of slow things down a bit and will force them to be uh, perhaps interrogated and to, to think a little bit more about mm. where they're going. So it's quite a, quite an interesting study, but I think the two can work very, very well, but it's got to be blended and, and acknowledged that the introverts will bring bring something to the table. Absolutely. And I think there's a, there's a challenge there, isn't it, between being able to get to that position of even even as an introvert, being in a leadership role. So I guess as a junior professional who's working in a team, if you are an introvert, say, and you're working with a team of extroverts, how do you make sure your voice is heard? How do you how do you show that your contribution has been listened to and valued to as well? Mm, absolutely. That's a, the point you make about it being a challenge to, to rise up as an introvert is really interesting, interesting also. Um, there's some uh, data that was in the Wall Street Journal and... What it was saying is that uh, I think around 15% of the of the of society are high extroverts. But then, as we look at the workplace, the proportion of these high extroverts that are rising up through the ranks, um, it, it's amazing. So I think it's I've got some numbers somewhere here, but I think it's something like from 15%. When we get to senior management, 65% of those high extroverts make it to the top and wow. to those CEO roles. Wow. Whereas if we assume that 50% of the population are introverts, by the time we get to this, the top roles, only 2% manage to, to get to those top roles. So it's, there is definitely a, a bias against, or if, even if it's not a bias against introverts, it's extroverts who have got that bias towards each other. Mm. They get on well with each other. They hire more people like that. And that's, mm. that's how it um, prevails. So what I tend to say to introverts that I work with You've always got to kind of create a little bit of an exposure uh, sort of therapy for yourself. So let's say that you're somebody who goes into a meeting and because you don't need the attention, you might sit at, at one end away from the decision makers. Yeah. So you might say to yourself, OK, in today's meeting, I'm going to sit next to the key decision maker or opposite that person. Mm. Other things that you can do ahead of the meeting is if you know who's running the meeting, go to them ahead of time. What's on the agenda? Can we chat through it? beforehand so I can have a think about these key key questions that are being um, asked. Other things that you can do, um, typically because introverts take a little bit longer to compose their ideas and, and ready to speak up, uh, what, what can happen is if it's a fast-paced meeting, by the time the introvert's got their finger on the tip of their tongue to say, the, the topic's long changed, it's right? On to something else by then. <laughs> Absolutely. So uh, one of the things is not being afraid of, of calling back and saying, uh, hey, no, I, I know that we've moved on from that, but I just had a thought that I think is really important that I share. Yeah. 
and then sharing that. So, so getting used to that and understanding that you may never be that one who's the, the quickest to speak up. Mm. Another thing that I also do is I share um, speaking frameworks with with uh, the my clients and when I'm speaking at organisations. Um, and often it can be if you've got if you know how you're going to actually share your idea, then you can just free yourself up to get the data and the information together. So there are little frameworks like uh, something called the PEEP framework. So P-E-E-E-P. So you make your point and then you might say, I've got three examples or three bits of evidence to, to back that up. Mm-hmm. And then you um, then that way, by telling your brain, I've got three bits of evidence, your brain can do the work to come up with those three while you're speaking. Mm-hmm. And another thing, um, if you can sort of declare ahead of time the structure of what you're going to say, it will stop people from butting in. Because typically, <laughs> you know, you start talking and someone just says, oh, but what about... Uh? But if you can say ahead of time, well, I think this, there's three reasons why, then you're letting it be known. Let, let me get through I'm my three reasons. My yeah, absolutely. Um, so that's so little frame... There's so many frameworks. I've got a... My second book is full of them. But um, little frameworks like that are, are incredibly helpful for people to just understand they can, they can know where they're going without having it all perfect when they start speaking. And it doesn't all have to be off the cuff, extempore, this is my response in the meeting. You're almost training yourself to have that structure in your responses. Absolutely, mm. absolutely. And and then also when it comes down to public speaking, I think for me, it was so liberating when I, um, after my experience in the workplace, where I, I felt that I, you know, I wasn't being listened to, I was being kind of maligned because I needed moments to think. Yeah. Uh, once Once you understand how to use public speaking and understand how to put a speech together and so on, it can be incredibly liberating because you take to the floor, you're at a conference, there's no one there who's going to trip you up. No one's going to butt in. You have a chance to convey your ideas in the way that you want to. And so I I really urge um, everyone, but introverts in particular, to really grasp and run with public speaking as an opportunity because it's a way that you um, you can really flesh out what you're going to say ahead of time and, and, and really uh, express yourself as you want to express yourself. Yeah, you're falling back to that idea of preparing what you want to say, having that structure, having that framework of leaning back on. Absolutely, yeah, I so agree. Mm. So what would you say to somebody who, for example, has, has the opportunity to, to kind of try some public speaking, but it's just nervous, they're just, mm. they're just nervous. There's a lot of people in the crowd, unknown faces, unknown people, unknown responses, potentially. Mm. Yes. How would you, I mean, it's, it's a tough one, isn't it, really, because it's about confidence, but... How can how can people bolster up their own confidence to do something like this? Mm. Yeah, it's it's it is a big one because it's almost like you've got to do it, and you've got to, it's going to be messy at the beginning yeah. quite often, and uh, practicing at home in front of the mirror isn't necessarily <laughs> enough. <laughs> um, so I would say, first of all, if you if you are going to embrace public speaking, then you've got to put yourself in some situations which aren't so risky. Mm. First of all, and just practice figuring out what your voice is uh, as a speaker you know are you somebody who wants to come across as being sort of more of an intellectual football type are you somebody who is a little bit of a sort of magician with fresh ideas and creative because I think if you have your own standards that you judge yourself by Mm. then you you won't kind of be ruminating over oh I slipped up here or I slipped up there because you've got your own um, internal standards other things that you can do are um, you can also join organizations like uh, sort of Toastmasters or where you can get a chance to practice in a non-threatening uh, situation. A more forgiving environment maybe. Absolutely yeah. and I think one thing that people often are frightened about is the Q&A session because yeah. however much you prepare you can't know what's what's going to be flying at you yeah. <laughs> during the Q&A. Yeah. 
But what you can do is, um, if you think about the topic and think about who's in the audience, you can sort of prepare kind of broad areas where you think the questions could come from. And one thing that you'll often see politicians do is if they're getting a question on a particular topic, maybe they don't know the specific answer to that, or they don't want to answer that specific question, <laughs> but they will quickly sort of massage the topic over to, some, to an area that for them is a safer area. Um, and so it's something that you see quite a lot, even among sort of top CEOs and things when they're answering questions. So don't be afraid. If you don't have the specific answer, you might say, um, well, that's that's a really interesting question. We were just talking about X, Y and Z the other day. Mm. X, Y and Z may not be directly answering the question, but it might be related enough that it's satisfying. To spark that conversation or to kind of lead you down the right route. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Do you think there's an element of forgiveness there almost internally? So when you do mess up or when you do make a mistake whether you're starting off in this field or whether you're quite veteran in public speaking, there's an element of self-forgiveness. When it goes wrong, it's, it's okay. Um, yeah. And do you think maybe that's a risk to having these frameworks? So for example, where you know, you said earlier that the PEEP approach, mm. if you mess up maybe the second evidence, the second bit of data you've gathered, it's okay to mess it up still. But do you think that's a danger in having a framework and an approach you mess up you use? You hold yourself to a higher standard of response? Mm, I think that's interesting. I, I, I think you, you definitely have to have a bit of forgiveness of yourself. Um, you know, if you're the, the old sort of stereotype of the, the, the baby learning to walk, you know, they're not worrying about falling over. You just have to keep doing it. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I've never heard that question actually before with the, with the framework. So there's something to mess up rather yeah. than being. But I, I would use it as um, just, just as, as a, a guideline, really. So it's not so much messing up. And you might say, OK, I've got three reasons why. And then you can only come up with two. And that that can happen, but at least you've you've shared that you've got um, some sort of direction, mm. and then maybe next time you will have a third reason, mm. or maybe you've you've only got two significant reasons, but then the third one might be a story or something to back up the second point. Mm. I think in the heat of a, a of a meeting, no one's going to be saying, "Well, you said three, you only gave three. <laughs> <laughs> well, you'd hope not. <laughs> Definitely, but I think especially. With people who, you know, like introverts who uh, spend a lot of time in their own heads, it can be very easy to um, sort of beat yourself up over things. Yeah. And I know, for example, I'm sort of, this is an example from the singing world now, but early on when I was singing, I um, paid to attend a trade fair right. and I had to sing a song which had a, a sort of notorious high note in it. And when the high note came, my voice cracked a bit and I didn't quite reach that high note. Mm. And I remember for the next month or so, like waking up in the middle of the night, <laughs> oh, you didn't hit the high note. Oh, oh. <laughs> you have to wear a bag over your head and never go out again. Oh. <laughs> um, so you've got to get to the position where you can, as you say, forgive yourself. Let those things go. You know, 10 years from now, the, the high note's gone. I just laugh Absolutely. about it. Right? <laughs> almost an element of where you are your own worst enemy You're, you hold yourself to the highest standards you you mark yourself the harshest compared to anybody else and I think that's it's being kinder to yourself and allowing yourself to make these mistakes right that's right and I think the freedom I think where sometimes introverts can be a bit jealous of extroverts is that there's there's that sort of certain freedom mm. when they're communicating it's like there's there's not a care in the world um they they just speak and it tends to come out sounding quite reasonable yeah. now quite often extroverts don't have um, they don't have the handle on the best answer. Yeah. And there's a great quote from Susan Cain, um, who wrote the book Quiet, The Power of Introverts in an Extroverted World. And she says that there's no correlation between having the, the loudest voice and having the, the right answer. I mean, mm. I'm paraphrasing there. 
<laughs> but um, but we've we've got to keep that in mind as well. So where we're thinking, oh, I'm I'm, I'm going to speak, and it has to be perfect. Mm. Sometimes you've got to just let yourself off the hook mm. and and just have a go. And maybe you'll have the right answer, but it comes out the wrong way, or you'll say something that sounds good, but it's not quite perfect. Mm. But it's okay. And I think there's, there's it's also you know understanding that it's not going to change overnight. It's it's a journey you have to go on. It's a journey of improvement without being cliched about it. But it's it's not going to change overnight. It is. It's an impacting thing that accumulates over your career and over your experiences, right? Absolutely, absolutely. And I think that's where it, it's really important for uh, the work environment to be forgiving of that. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it's important for people to understand, like if, if it's management or whatever, that if, if you are an introvert, there are certain areas where you need more support. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the things I, I say to introverts if they're going into meetings, don't be afraid to have a colleague that you've said, maybe an extrovert, and you say, hey, can you get my back in a meeting? Um, there might be an area where I want to speak. If I fall silent or if I, maybe you can say, hey, Shola had a great idea about that. Can you share Shola? And just give me that bit of support I need. And I think that's where um, it's really helpful to have um, advocates and supporters in your team or you might might be a manager who understands what you're trying to achieve. Allies almost. Yes, yeah, allies is a good word. I mean, I guess that's something that you can you can build in the team itself but if you're looking at a mixed team how can other introverts or how other extroverts support people who again are shy or quieter mm. slower to take off saying something else up how else can we how else can people support them mm. well I think it's I think also it's about understanding especially for and extroverts do understand a lot of them um, but things that come very easy to them might be a bit more of a struggle to uh, an introvert so I think it's about when you get into those meetings, as I just said, you know, understanding that you might have to support your colleague uh, a little bit more, uh, not calling out people for being, oh, you're weird, you didn't speak up, because <laughs> I've heard people say that, you know, there's something wrong with you, you didn't speak. Um, so just providing that air, that feeling of belonging, I think, because you talk a lot about diversity and inclusion, mm. but just because somebody's included, it doesn't mean to say that they feel they belong. Absolutely. So it's about everyone understanding what other strengths and weaknesses are and then for the good of where we're going with the company and for people uh, wanting to you know give their best selves at work creating that supportive environment where people feel they belong they can speak up they can do their best uh, without being judged because of who they are and how they think or how slowly they speak up mm. it's recognizing it's recognizing the different skill sets you have in your team and how you can best support your peers and each other mm. yeah recognition's a good word mm. brilliant Thank you very much. Okay. Thank you for tuning in to our fifth episode of the Data Balance podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or SoundCloud and join us next month for more conversations on diversity and data. To find out more about Shola's speaking or consulting, listen to her podcast or go to sholakay.com.